Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. How was last week's teaching? Were you blessed? <laughs> Alright, what did you learn? Let's start with what stood out for you last week. Who wants to speak? What did we learn last week? Okay, we spoke about some attributes of God. And what did that lead us to seeing about God? Three attributes of God. Number one is love, merciful. He's holy. How does the holiness of God affect us? He can't stand sin because he's perfect. What else did we learn? The justice. God is just. How does his justice affect us? Because he can't stand sin. He has to punish sin. Not because he is a bad God, but because he is a good God. And then justice is not attributed to evil, but attributed to good. And because of that, he had to die for us, right? We learned about penal substitution. Or what did I call it? Substitutionary atonement. How that Jesus came as a substitute to die our death, all right? We owed a debt we couldn't pay. Christ paid a debt he didn't owe. I probably didn't say that. No. <laughs> all right, praise God. Alright, today we're going to continue in our teaching series 316. I'm going to try my best to make sure that um, the first part is available on a Google Drive so we can listen because it's one to release and for anyone who missed it so that you can go back and listen to it. Alright, so um, I started last week by speaking about what I called a paradoxical statement. Alright? I said, it's the biggest paradox that exists in the world. And I said, the reason why it, I, I call it the biggest paradox is because it's a paradox that talks about existence, that talks about life, that talks about life after death, that talks about eternity. And there's nothing bigger than our existence, right? Because, I mean, existence is like we live or we don't, right? There's nothing bigger than the world. And I call it the biggest paradox. And that paradox is that you will be surprised that there are many Christians today who don't know the gospel. And it sounds so simple. And if you're not able to see what the paradox, what is a paradox? Who went to school? What's a paradox? Eh? <laughs> you don't go to school. What's a paradox? Can someone check? What is the paradox? I'm sure there will be an English major here that is not speaking. <laughs> a paradox is something that seems to go against common sense, but what may still be true. And if you don't know why that statement is a paradox, that there are Christians who don't know the gospel, you have to think about the fact that it is the gospel that makes a person saved. I get what I'm saying. So if there is a Christian that doesn't know the gospel, how then did he get saved? It means there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians but are not truly saved. Why? They don't know the gospel. I get what I'm saying. It's almost like saying that you are alive without being born. Do you know what I'm saying? How do you come to this world? Like, how did you get into this world? By being born. I understand what I'm saying. So how are you a Christian if you don't know the gospel? And it's such a paradoxical, paradoxical statement because we have a lot of people who when you ask them in a room like this, what is the gospel? They don't know. One of the best experiences for me, oh, I think it's becoming my best time of the week. It's Saturdays when we go out to evangelize because when you go out to evangelize and ask people, what do you believe about God? You hear funny stuff. You hear funny things. Oh, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. What do you believe about him? And you come to see that a lot of people know that there is a Jesus. I've heard people say that he's a myth. That he's a legend. It's just a historical story. I get what I'm saying. So there are funny things that people believe about Jesus. I told you about the story of a woman that heard the gospel and had to ask. So you're trying to tell me that for 80 years of my life, coming to church and doing everything, I was never truly saved. Amen. So it's important that we understand the gospel. So there are two possibilities. Either you've heard and believed the gospel, but you don't know that it's the one most important message in your salvation. 
or you thought you had, but you haven't truly heard the gospel, that way, this series is for you. Amen. And I want you to make sure that if you've not listened to the first part, you go listen because I explained some very important concepts there. And we're going to continue today. I want to start by explaining an approach to Bible study that I want you to have. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. One, one thing I've realized is that a lot of us get saved and we're not taught main things. We're, we're left to assume, you know, how to go about those things and we're not taught. But listen, there's an approach to Bible study that every believer must have. Go to Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. Preferably NKJV, just so that there's unison when we read. Luke chapter 24. If you don't know where Luke is. <laughs> Luke 24. Are you all there? Alright, let's read together. 1, 2, 24 verse 13. <laughs> Are you ready? Let's read together. 1, 2, go. That same day, to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now backstory to this, Jesus had been crucified. The women had gone to the tomb with spices to prepare his body. And then on getting there, they didn't see Jesus in the tomb. And an angel, two angels appeared to them, telling them that, why are you looking for the living among the dead? All right? And so they ran back to the disciples of Jesus to say, you know what? We got there. He's not in the tomb. And then Peter, you know, as usual, ran to the place to check the tomb as well. Is Jesus there? And when he got there, he didn't see the body of Jesus. Amen. Now, these two guys were part of the disciples that were gathered together in that place. But they were now departing from them to go somewhere else. Now the Bible says that they were going to Jerusalem. How long, how long was the walk? Seven miles. So if you do a calculation on, a, on an average, how long will it take you to walk seven miles? Who knows? 24 hours go. <laughs> it's actually three hours, alright? Okay, there is. <laughs> It's three hours. So this was a three hours walk. And then the Bible says that while they were walking and they reasoned together, Jesus drew near to them, but they couldn't recognize him. Now, you would understand why they could not recognize him very soon. Go to verse 17. Are you all there? All right, read together. One, two, go. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So, meaning that he noticed that they were sad while they were walking. Alright? Next verse. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Verse 19. And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mightily indeed and word before God and all the people. Verse 20. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. Are you understanding the story till here? Making sense? Alright, next verse. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since this thing happened. Verse 22. Yes, a certain and, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went onto the tomb and found it just as the woman said. But him they did not see. Do you see? You understand the backstory now? Peter also went to confirm that if the body was there, but he didn't see the body. Alright? Alright. Verse 25. And this is very important for you to see. I want you to pay attention here. Let's read verse 25 together. One to go. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things 
and enter into his glory. And beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. This is powerful. So, they told Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. They told the guy they met on the road, don't you know what is going on in Jerusalem? And we thought he was to be the Messiah, this guy who had died. But it's the third day he has not resurrected. And then what did Jesus say? Jesus called them foolish. It wasn't an insult. It was a description of who they were. Because what it means to be foolish is actually to be slow of heart to understand. Are you with me? The, the, the Greek word, I can't remember what it, what it is, but it means to be slow of understanding. So he said, oh foolish ones, oh foolish and slow to understand. What did he say next? Ought not the Christ to have what? And to what? Why did he say ought not the Christ? Because he expected that they would know. How did he expect them to know? Scriptures. Are you with me? He was talking about scriptures. He says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to what? Enter his glory. So he had an expectation. Listen, Jesus was casting their minds first to where? To scriptures. To the Old Testament. To what was written about the Christ. I get what I'm saying. Listen, think about it this way. Could he not have just shown them that he's alive? He could have. He could have just, look at my hand, you know. But what did he say? Ought not the Christ. So he wanted them to learn to see through the scriptures. Are you getting what I'm saying? He wanted them to what? To learn to what? To see through the scriptures. And the Bible says, beginning from Moses and what? And the prophets. That is talking about the canon of the Old Testament. The books of Moses are what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Alright? So when you hear, when you see in the scriptures, say the books of Moses, because Moses, you know, is said to have written the first five books. And then when he says all the prophets, the Old Testament ends where? In the book of the prophets. Ends in Malachi. So the Bible was, it was, it was referring to the canon of the Old Testament. So what did he do? He did a Bible study for them to show them the Christ. But where did he start from? The old. He didn't just jump to reveal himself, no. He took them through what? Through scriptures to reveal himself to them. So he expounded to them the things concerning who? Concerning himself. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, what God did in Christ, in the New Testament, he had planned it where? In the old. And Jesus' method of teaching them wasn't to just reveal to them. It was to start a study from where? From the old. So Jesus' Bible study approach started from where? From the old. And God's plan was that he wants you to be able to learn to see from the origin. Let me show you one more thing. Go to verse 28. Verse 28, everybody. If you need gum, this is like sharing gum so you don't sleep. <laughs> Are you in verse 28? I'm already seeing eyes closing. Collect gum first. Anybody that is sleeping. Are you all good now? Okay. If you need to stand up, stand up. <laughs> you can't sleep. Alright, let's go on. One, two, go. Then drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is fast spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they what? They knew him, and what happened? So listen. To understand the things in the New Testament, you have to understand its origin in the old. I've taught you before that the Bible has to be read together. Amen. This is how Jesus handled Bible study. It's how the apostles handled Bible study as well. If you go further, verse 32. You know, I will, let, let's keep 32. Let me, go, let me show you where he appeared to them. 36. Are you all in verse 36? Alright, so those guys got back, they told the people the account of what had happened now. 36, one to go. 
Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when they had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, they marveled and he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broad fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. And they said to him, These are the... And he said to them, I was like, they said to him, <laughs> And he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written where? In where now? The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. What is this referring to? The canon of the Old Testament again. Remember, the Old Testament has the law. When it says the law, what is it talking about? The books of Moses. It can be confusing to think it's just talking about the Ten Commandments. But many times in scriptures, when you see the law, it's actually talking about the whole of the books of Moses, of Moses rather. Does that make sense? So, the law is still referring to the first five books of Moses. Then the prophets, remember how the Old Testament is arranged, ended with the prophets. Then what was in the middle? Psalms. And many times, the psalm is not even just the psalm of David. It also refers to other poetry in the Bible. There are other, you know, biblical there are other Bible texts that are themed poetry. Are you getting what I'm saying? So you have even Songs of Solomon and a lot of the other ones that are actually themed poetic books. There are many genres of like writing in the Bible, all right? You, have, you actually have prose, you have poetry, you have, you know, apocalyptic literature as well, Daniel, Revelations, you know, and other things like that. I get what I'm saying. So the Bible says beginning from... No, this time it said... The law, the prophets. What did he do? He says, this was what I told you that must be fulfilled of me, that was written in the law, in the prophets. So what was he doing to them? He was helping them see that the things that were to happen to the Christ were already written where? So when you want to understand the things that happened to Christ, if you are a good Bible student, where will you start? From the Old Testament. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because the Old Testament is actually the book of origins. The way we learn to read the Bible is that we always go to one part. But listen, you must read the Bible as a whole book. Amen. As a whole book. You read the New Testament in the context of the Old. And you read the Old in the context of the New. Does that make sense? It's a popular saying, I've said it here many times, that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. What does that mean? That the things that were spoken about in the Old and were shadowed were revealed in the New. I get what I'm saying. So when you see the full picture, it's almost like an architect or an engineer that wants to make a house but constructs it by diagrams. I get what I'm saying. When you see the full building and there's a crack, you might not understand it because it is full. But you want to see why there's an error, it might be good to go to the plan. Does that make sense? Does that analogy work? It might be good to go to the plan. So many times to understand, you have to go back, sometimes as far as Genesis. Because Genesis is a book of origins. And many of the other books in the Old Testament also draw from Genesis. It's a progressive book. Amen. It's a progressive book. So to fully understand. The, you know, a lot of us are used to that white paper in between the new and the old. Separate. Learn to read it together. If you see the full... Let me teach you this way. The Bible... Is full, is filled with themes. So, certain things you read in some parts, you must understand it in the theme of the whole Bible. Amen. So, when you see certain things written in one part, you know, you have to read it first of all in the context of the chapter. You read the verse in the context of the chapter, you read the chapter in the context of the book. That is, when you are reading 1 Corinthians, 
that is where, I'm sorry. When you are reading 1 Corinthians, you have to read it different from how you are reading Psalms. Because 1 Corinthians is an epistle. It's written after Jesus died. But the Apostle Paul was writing to a church, the church in Corinth. And he was instructing and correcting them. That's why in 1, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he started talking about the fact that, you know, I hear that there's division among you. Some say that you're of Apollo. Some say the others say that they're of Paul, you know. And then he addressed them. And then later he said, you may have many fathers. You may have many teachers, but I'm your father. So he was clearing them. When you get to 12, he says, um, concerning spirituals, or 11, concerning spirituals, I will not have you ignorant. He was addressing them because they used to be very expressive in spiritual things, but there was no order. When he gets to 14, remember what 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about. Tongues. That he says that you should not just come and just be, you know, I, I want to preach now and I'm preaching in tongues, you know. That was what they were doing. He was correcting it. 11, he spoke about love. The reason why he spoke about love in 11 is not to advise you on your relationship. No. It's to teach them that regardless of the gift, it is all inspired by love. That's the difference between... That's, so 11, 12, and 13 must be read together. Who understands what I'm saying? If you've read 1 Corinthians, that's what I'm saying. So take some time to read 1 Corinthians. You'll see what I'm saying. He corrected in, in 5 or 6, he corrected food offered to idols, I think. There was something he corrected in 5 or 6. I can't remember now, but it was a corrective book. I get what I'm saying. When you read Psalms or you read Proverbs, you know, I learned that one of the biggest heresies in church history was a guy that taught in Proverbs, the Bible, the Bible was teaching about wisdom, and he taught wisdom was God, was Jesus. So there were a lot of things that were said because the person used figures of speech personification to talk about wisdom, but he led in. So you have to read these things differently. When you read Revelations, read it seeing that John was seeing a vision. Not that you might necessarily see a three-headed, I don't know if there's literally a three-headed dragon, or that it was the vision that John saw, but you have to read it in that light. Because I get what I'm saying. So, learn to read in the context of the book, but also, don't just read in the context of the book, read in the context of the whole Bible. Amen. Because when you see someone talking in the Old Testament, you see that revelation is progressive. Abraham believed in God and was counted to him as what? as a righteousness but Abraham in that time did not know Christ how was he saved by faith in God his faith in God implicitly was faith in the salvation plan of God in Christ do you see it Abraham did not know Christ but Abraham is saved why revelation is progressive what they knew at the time Christ was not born what they knew at the time that would get them saved is faith Abel's sacrifice was received by what? Faith. But now in the New Testament, that revelation, and we see that God's plan for salvation is the death of Christ. It's clearer now. Please, I get what I'm saying. So Hebrews can call heroes of faith and call Rahab the harlot because she just had faith. And that's why you cannot come in the New Testament and think that salvation will ever be by works. Because the full context of the Bible never showed you salvation by works. He always showed you by faith. Abel, Rahab, Samson. You have, a, you have a question. It's a symbol of faith because the lamb was a sign of Christ. You are correct. Because Cain's sacrifice was not accepted because he was going to be punished or because he did anything wrong. It was just because God was teaching them a story that by the works of your hand, which is the planting of crops, you will never please me. But it will always be by blood. Can I tell you something? In Egypt, he said, put the blood on the lintel. I'm doing a whole different teaching from what I but it's part of it for you to understand. Put the blood of the lamb on the lintel. Go inside, cook the lamb eat it, when the angel of death comes, it will pass over you. If an Egyptian was inside that house, the angel will not kill the Egyptian. Because it was only about obedience. The, the Egyptian does not know God. 
But if he was inside that house, he would be saved. Do you understand? Obedience is faith in that regard. Just because God's plan was that the person would be saved by the blood. Are you getting it? So, when I say faith now in the Old Testament, it necessarily doesn't mean that Cain did something wrong. Because a lot of people think that Cain was punished because he gave crops. No. God was teaching them. He clearly told him, he says, if you had done the right thing, I would have accepted him, but he did not scold him for it. He taught them. It was because of Cain's rebellion that he was punished. Does that make sense? <laughs> and that was why he was punished. Is this clear? So, what I'm trying to show you that is that all through scriptures, we've always seen that salvation is going to be by faith. So you can't come later and think it will be by what? Guess what? Do I have time to explain this? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Galatians teaches us. Let's read it. I'll show you something. It'll blow your minds. And don't carry me. Go where I don't want to go. <laughs> Galatians chapter, I think, 3. Galatians chapter 3. Is anybody lost? Maya, are you getting it? Cool. Okay. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Let's read it together. One to go. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He did not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. What is he saying here? That when God spoke to Abraham in the Old Testament and gave a promise to him, the promise in the Old Testament was talking about who? Christ, not Isaac. Are you seeing this? Continue. Verse 17. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed before God, before, by God in Christ. What does this mean? Finish it. That it should make the promise of no effect. In simple terms, what does this mean? Does anybody understand what you just read? Yes, but in this context, what does it mean? That there's a promise that was made to Abraham. What was that promise? His seed would be what? By his seed. Let me just tell you the promise in the Old Testament. There was a promise to him. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed and was counted to him as what? Righteousness. That is by faith, Abraham was accounted righteous. And there was a promise to him and to his descendants. Amen? That salvation will come. Why are you called children of Abraham? So, it was, that any, it was that the same way Abraham by faith believed in God and was counted to him as righteousness, anyone who believes in God and righteousness is accounted unto him is a child of Abraham in that sense. I get what I'm saying. His descendants will receive salvation by faith. Do you know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying the law which came 400 years after God gave this promise to Abraham cannot annul. That means... Salvation by faith actually came before. Are you getting what I'm saying? So it means that all along, God's plan was that salvation will come by what? Are you lost? Are you lost, Maywa? It's clear? 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 You can always draw me back. Oh. Is this clear? So are you seeing that? Read it. Imagine you go to a part of scriptures and you see the law. And you think that salvation will come by works. And you didn't come to the New Testament to see Paul's understanding of the Old Testament. Would you have done good Bible study? Clear? So read the old in the context of the new. And read the new in what? It might not be easy. Yes! Read the New Testament in the context of the old. And read the Old Testament in the context of the new. <laughs> Don't think that one is greater than the other. It would be your biggest mistake. The only difference is that there's clarity in the new by revelation. Does this make sense? Amen? Amen? I know it might not be easy, but 
Many themes you see in the New Testament, when you read the Old, they become clearer. Salvation, everything, even about Christ. And so, we're going to be using, I had a lot put together, but <laughs> time is fast spent. I'm going to show you another place where the apostles, you know, looked through the Old Testament to give their answers. But let me just give you one more. Second Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3. I know they miss fellowship. Oh, there's a lot to teach. There's a lot to help understand. Second Timothy three. Are you all there? Verse fourteen. Are we there? All right. One to go, but you must continue. Pause. Ajiri, who is talking here? Precious, who is talking here? Who asked you? Okay, ah, that's too precious. I will finish up. It helps your Bible study to know what is going on when you read it. You know, we've just read a lot of texts, we don't know what is happening. All right, so who is Timothy? Paul's disciple, Paul's protege. All right. Now, when was this letter set? And this is a letter, by the way, to Timothy from Paul. Where was Paul at this time? Was he in prison? Where was Timothy at this time? So Paul sent, left Timothy where? Ephesus was where we know in Acts he left him. So this, listen. Take your time. Do your homework on this. This is how to understand what is going on. So you understand the letters better when you know where he was, why he was writing to him, you know. Something I'll help you is Bible Project on YouTube. They do a good analysis of, of scriptures. Alright, so just check Bible Project on YouTube. Project. Yeah. Alright, so verse 14, everybody wants to go, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of them knowing from whom you have learned them. 15 wants to go. The Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. What sounds weird here? What is Holy Scriptures for them? Old Testament. Why? Because in their time the New Testament was not written yet. Are you getting it? So when he says you've known the Holy Scriptures, he's telling him you know the Old Testament. But in their time, by 11 years, a child already knows the whole, whole of the Torah by heart. They used to memorize it. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now he says you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you what? Doesn't that sound weird? Old Testament, salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. They've not given birth to Christ Jesus in the Old Testament. So how will the Old Testament teach him salvation by faith in Christ? It is because the Apostle Paul understands that the Old Testament, the same way Jesus says, ought not the Christ. The Old Testament contains the message, the promise of the Messiah. All you should know about the Messiah. Is this making sense? Am I stressing your brain? Am I stressing your brain? A bit? A bit? Tell me. Where? Tell me where you are. I, need, I can clarify. Okay. okay. It just stresses me, but you know it's now, Abby. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Alright. So, now, having considered all of that, and I said all of that to help you see that when we are talking about salvation and the gospel, to really help you understand the gospel as well, we must look where you get? Alright. Acts. Chapter 8. Is Acts in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Acts. You don't confuse. <laughs> it's new. You don't already say old. <laughs> Why is it in the new? Alright. <laughs> Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Is everybody there? Is everybody there? <laughs> Mr. Lasty, right? I'm waiting for you. 
Let me know where you are, everybody. There now, Acts 8.26. I mean, not everybody's probably used to this type of like teaching that's <laughs> scattered everywhere, but just follow me and you get used to it gradually. All right? You know, there's something used to say. Um, it's actually not we used to say. It was um, Papa Kennedy again that said it, that if every local church is doing what they need to do, there'll be no need for Bible schools. All right? So your church, where you are planted, should be Bible school for you. Should be where you should be taught all that would equip you, all you need to learn. Bible schools are like an intervention program. Are you with me? Discipleship, training for ministry should happen in the local church. You are trained, equipped. Amen. Are we all there now? Acts 8.26, let's read together. One, two, go. And the angel of the Lord, uh-huh, arise. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, guys. What happened to your mass reading together? The queen of the Ethiopians. All right, let me do a quick explanation. Philip goes, one of the disciples, and then on his way from Jerusalem to Gaza, he saw somebody. He saw a eunuch. Who is a eunuch? Ah. No. Anyways. What makes them eunuchs is the fact that they've been castrated. But many times, they are given to the service of other people. So, usually, when people are given to serve in temples then, they castrate them so that they will not sleep with their daughters <laughs> and be attracted to the royal people. That's actually why they castrate them. <laughs> Alright? So, <laughs> amen. Anyways, so this, this is... <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> Alright, so... Now, this is a eunuch to the queen. Actually, I learned recently that her name is not Candace. She's Queen Kandeji, which is a title in Ethiopia for, like, queen mother. So, usually, the kings are seen as gods, so they don't do menial jobs, but the queens are the ones that, like, actively rule and do all of those things. So, there's a title for them, Queen Mother, Queen Kandeji. Alright, so anyways, so I, I learned that recently. It's interesting for you to know. Um, so he serves, you know, the queen and had charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28, everybody. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. Okay. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, uh, NKJV has taken the fork. Can you say, understandest thou what thou readest? <laughs> Alright? That's how I learned anyways. <laughs> Do you understand what, what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to what? Now one thing to quickly learn here is that he was reading and he did not beg the Holy Spirit to help him understand, even though the Holy Spirit can aid your understanding. But he needed to understand. And what did he do? He asked for help. Amen. He did what? He asked for help. Now Philip did what? Got on the chariot. Next verse. The place in the scripture which he was reading was what? He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his sharer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth. And what? So, who understands the story fully? Everybody? He was reading where? Isaiah. Actually, the part he was reading was Isaiah 53. 
and verse 7. And so now this guy was reading Isaiah. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7, it says, He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet, he did not open his mouth. In those days, they might have gotten this prophecy like a prophecy. But Philip is revealing to him now that it was a prophecy about who? Jesus. He says, he, yet he did not open his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his share is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was what? He was what? He was what? Okay, you people don't have Isaiah 54, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, he was killed for transgression of my people. So, listen. Philip comes to this man and this is a pure description of him giving him a good news. Because this man had been coming to the temple to worship, but he was reading the law and he did not understand what he was talking about. So he asked Philip, who was the prophet talking about? And he says he was talking about Jesus. I taught you last week about the sin problem, right? That sin is such a big deal because God is holy and God is just that he must what? Punish sin, right? He must punish sin. The wage of sin is what? Is death. And if man owed it dead, the wage is dead. So there is punishment for sin. I get what I'm saying. There is what? We see the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? God's holy reaction to sin. Amen. And I gave you the analogy also of why Jesus had to come. Remember the analogy? If everybody here had a back, carried a heavy load, and they can't stand, and it's really killing them, bringing them down. You can't help the next person because you have your load to carry, right? So whoever is going to come and help everybody has to be someone without a load. And that's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Because anyone who was born of the, of the similitude, the, the sin, who was born of the line of Adam, carried the sin of Adam. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so Jesus being born of a virgin meant that he would not be from the line of Adam. Amen? And so that was why he was able to take upon himself the sin of the whole world. And that's why he died our death. Do you get this? Is this clear? 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 Okay. I'm saying clear so that I wake up everybody. <laughs> Sometimes to shout to wake up everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. So if man tries, he cannot help himself. Works cannot save you because the wage of sin is death. And now you see Philip giving the utopian eunuch a good news. He said, like the lamb who is taken to the sharers, that is those to kill him, were dumb. Same way, he was telling them that Jesus willingly gave his life. Are you getting this? Are you seeing the, 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 the picture? He began to preach Jesus to him. Many of the things that we do not understand, they were not new to the Jews. When you study scriptures well, you understand that the Jews had the promise of the Savior. They had Isaiah. They had read it, so they knew that there will be somebody that will come and die for their sins. Are you getting what I'm saying? They knew. When you look at the Old Testament clearly, you see that God planned salvation. They knew a Messiah was coming. Who is a Messiah? The word Christ comes from the word Christos. It's a Greek word that means anointed. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the anointed. I get what I'm saying. And the, 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 saying someone is anointed in the Hebrew, it's Mashiach or Messiah. Do you see that? So if you translate Jesus the Messiah, Jesus um, Yeshua, Hemashiach, in that sense, directly, it is Jesus Christ. Are you getting it? So it's a title, the anointed one. Sometimes it's used for priests. Sometimes it's used for kings. Because priests and kings were anointed. Are you getting what I'm saying? For example, First Samuel 24, the Bible says, And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. That's the Lord's Messiah or Messiah. So he was talking about who here? 
Saul. David was talking about Saul here. So Saul was the anointed of the Lord. So kings were called anointed. All right? Priests were also called anointed. But there was a special title for an anointed one which would come. Amen. A special one that is not just a king and not just a priest. Someone special. Go to Genesis chapter 49 verse 10. Are you learning something? Are you confused? No? Yes. <laughs> Genesis 49 verse 10. Everybody there? Genesis 49 verse 10. Everybody there? What does he say? Want to go? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes whom it belongs to. Read that part again. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until who comes? Shiloh. Okay, NKJV says Shiloh. Until Shiloh comes, that what? <laughs> so, this was a prophecy in Genesis that the scepter will not depart from Judah until who comes? Shiloh. Unto whom will be what? Obedience of the people. So, let me tell you what this would mean in ancient Israel. They would have been expecting somebody who the obedience of the nations would be unto. Are you getting this? So they had an expectation. Someone is coming. Obedience of the nations will be to him. Someone is coming. One of the clearest prophecies about the coming of the Messiah is in 1 Chronicles 17 verse 11. Go to 1 Chronicles 17 11. I'll show you again. 1 Chronicles 17 11. Are you all there? Chronicles, that book you've never read this year. There. All right. So we cannot even deny. <laughs> Want to go? Yes. Yes. Wait. Who is speaking? Who is speaking? God. To who? Say God. Okay. Which Bible are you using? <laughs> who is speaking? God. To who? David. Now, read it now with understanding. One, two, go. Louder. the story what you just read God is talking to David what are the what are the important things he said number one he will give who a kingdom that will last forever whose seed so we know that this person is talking about must be number one David's seed number two what will happen to him he will give him a kingdom number three what will happen the guy, first of all, he said that the guy will build him a house that David could not build him. A temple. So, number one is what? He will be the seed of David. Number two is what? He will build a, the guy will build a temple for God that David could not build. Number three is what? He will be given a kingdom that would what? Last forever. Who fits into this? Maybe Solomon. You said Solomon before. You are actually correct in a way. Exactly. Now, this is one of those texts. I don't think he has double fulfillment because Solomon does not fit into everything. Solomon is his seed. What's the second one? Solomon built him a temple. And what's the third one? Solomon did not last forever. 
So you can understand that maybe some Jews thought that prophecy was fulfilled, but when Solomon died, they have to think that there's someone else coming who will be a son of David. Are you getting the point? Are you seeing the progression of God preparing Israel for salvation? Amen? This is one of the clearest prophecies about it. So, who they knew was coming was a king who will reign forever. Are you seeing this? A king who will what? Who will bring the kingdom of God to this world. So they must have been expecting a king is coming. A king is coming. Another text, Isaiah 53. Hope you are not tired. <laughs> so far, like... <laughs> I'm a preacher to you. I'm a preacher to you. <laughs> Isaiah 53. I'll begin to run up. Don't worry. You'll be glad you heard this. This one. Are you all there? Ask me. Exactly. Did not sleep. Is it not Jacob? <laughs> Did not sleep with Mary. Good. We will reach there. <laughs> I love it. I love the thinking. It means you are really you know, thinking about it. All right. Isaiah 53. Everybody wants to go? A report. Mm-hmm. Now, wow. And I don't hook. This one is you that started it. Don't know how to read. <laughs> Verse 2, everybody. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. <laughs> he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire. So, now this is another prophecy about somebody to come. Verse 3. He is what? Despised by men, a man of sorrows and acquitted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own ways. So listen. When they were hearing this prophecy of Isaiah, there was hope for them. Because they knew now that salvation has come. The Bible talks about somebody who will be bruised for our iniquities. Are you with me? Who will be bruised for our transgression. So now they had hope. There's a title for that first guy. He's the anointed king. But they also had a title for this second guy. A suffering servant. Are you getting what I'm saying? Someone who will come and will take the punishment of the people upon himself. Substitution. I taught you that, right? Substitution. They had a prophecy about this. But the only problem about it for the Israelites is that they could not see that these two people were the same person. Amen. Now it came to pass in Mark chapter 1 verse 9. The Bible says that it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan. Verse 10, everybody wants to go? Mark chapter 1 verse 9. Oh yeah, let's read 10 together. Want to go? And straight coming up of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him Verse 11, want to go? Saying, Thou art what? My beloved son, in what? Listen, today when you read this, you might just think that of God's approval of Jesus and Jesus' teaching ministry, that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well praised. But an average Jew, learning the Old Testament, remember that they, they knew it by heart. An average Jew who knew the testament by heart would hear this and think differently. Because this was God saying, this is 
my beloved son. Immediately they hear, this is my beloved son. Your mind goes to Chronicles. Did you remember Chronicles? What did he say there? He will be my son and I'll be what? Listen, Jesus Christ being the son of God was never really a problem for the Jews. Because they knew that God had said that there will be someone who will come who will be his son and he will be the guy's father. Do you get what I'm saying? Is this making sense to you? It was not really a problem for them. There were many things that were not a problem for them because they expected the prophecy. Amen. They expected it. Then he says, this is my beloved. He now says, in whom I am what? Well pleased. A Jew who hears that goes to Isaiah 42 and verse 1. The Bible says, Behold my servant, whom I upload, oh, I uphold rather, I say upload, <laughs> whom I uphold, my elect, which my soul delights. Soul delights there is well pleased. Are you with me? He was talking about his servant. Who is that servant? The person who is going to take their transgressions away. I get what I'm saying. He says, I put my spirit upon him, he shall bring my judgment to the Gentiles. Verse 6, it says, I, about the same guy now, verse 6 of Isaiah 42. It says, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you a covenant for the people. For light to who? The Gentiles. Who is called light to the Gentiles? Jesus. Are you getting it? So listen, not only was Jesus going to be a substitute for sin, he was going to reign forever. Now the teaching is going to make sense and I'm going to put it all together this way. I opened a lot for you to understand where I'm coming from in the Old Testament. Amen. One of the ways that you begin to learn this, Romans chapter 3 verse 23, all have seen and come short of the glory of God, right? It says, but being justified freely by what? By his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom is the propitiation of our sin. So Jesus is the payment for our sin, right? He died for our sin as payment, yes? The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is what? Eternal life, yes? Now Romans chapter 10 verse 9. The Bible then says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? Lord. And believe in your heart that what? He was raised from the dead. You shall be what? Saved. Now let me ask you a question. Why do you think it is important that in the gospel, we don't only believe that Jesus died, but we have to believe that he was buried and he resurrected as well? Anybody? 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 It's a total package. <laughs> listen, listen everybody. You know this text, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says that what? It says... But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in what? Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of it. We've always focused on the fact that they said they will receive power. But you don't remember that he also says they will be witnesses. Every time the disciples preached, they were witnessing Jesus. What were they witnessing about? His death, his burial, and the resurrection. Why? I'll give you some examples why you think about the question. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Acts chapter 2 verse 32. What does he say? What does he say? Alright. Let's read the pretext. Acts 2.29. Now, what is going on here? Backstory to this. The disciples had just received the spirit. People had gathered them. How did these things happen? Why are you people speaking in tongues? And then Peter is preaching. Now, listen, this is the crux of the whole teaching. I want you to pay attention. Hey, time has gone. All right, 29. Want to go? So, wait. What does it mean here? <laughs> no, but I don't... I'll have to say it. Let me see it. Let me read it again. Men and brethren, let me, let me freely speak to you about the patriarch David. He is dead 
and his tomb is where? With us today. He says, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, where did God swear to him? In Chronicles, do you remember? That what? Of the fruit of his loin, he will do what? He will raise up a son. A seed. Peter, Peter is telling them here now that that seed is who? Christ. He goes ahead to just say that what? He has promised to him that he would raise Christ. And Christ here, yeah, he did not even mention Jesus. He was talking about the anointed one, remember? So, he was saying, remember that God had told us that he would raise the anointed one from the line of David. Of David and he would bring him to sit where? On the throne. He says, he foreseeing this spoke of what? The resurrection of the Christ. That what? Do you know what Peter was doing? Peter was saying, number one, the anointed one, the Messiah, cannot be David. Why? He's dead. We have his burial ground here. It cannot be Solomon. Why? Meaning that whosoever will be the Messiah has to be whosoever dies and resurrects. Are you seeing Peter's argument? The way we see the fulfillment of the prophecy and we can identify the Messiah is anybody who dies and lives for. Are you getting it? Amen? It says, therefore, being at the right hand side, he then witnesses to them that Jesus is what? The Messiah. This is one of the first places you begin to see and understand how they identify Jesus as the Messiah. Amen. Acts chapter 3. I'll, look, I'll go to another place where they witness. Then I'll make my point. When I do expository teachings like this, my fear is that everybody understands what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Acts chapter 3, verse 12. What does it say? One, two, go. Oh, I look so intently at us as though by our own power and godliness we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified the servant Jesus. Whom what? When he was determined to let him go. Verse 14. But you denied what? Hey, what's that title? The anointed one. Alright? You denied the holy one and the just and asked for what? A moderate to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God did what? Of which what? So what were they witnessing? The death, the burial, and what? The resurrection of Jesus. Please, are you getting it? Are you getting it? Acts chapter 1 verse 1. Now we begin to prove that Jesus resurrected. Acts chapter 1, not a long proof, but just a short one. Acts 1 1. Luke was writing here. He says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up. After that, what? Unto who? Whom he had chosen. To whom what? He showed himself alive after his passion by what? Many infallible proofs. Being seen of what? Now to answer your question. The reason... Do you know why Matthew chapter 1 has all the genealogies? Do you ever read it? Have you ever read the genealogies? Matthew 1, you know it's to write and this begat this, this, this. Do you know why? Because for them to ever teach anything about Christ, they had to prove that Jesus was the son of David first. Are you getting what I'm saying? They had to show that he was from the line of David. Now, when you read the genealogy, they trace the genealogy to Joseph. But the answer to your question is that Mary was also in that line from the tribe of Jesse. Luke, I think it's Luke, was he? Luke or Acts, one of the texts. In the second chapter, it traces the line of Mary. So Mary was also from the line of, of David. Are you getting my point? Huh? Oh, okay. Are you getting the point, everyone? Mary was also what? From the line of David. So it was important for them to do that. Why did Luke start with this introduction as well? Matthew was writing to Jews, so he had to prove that way. Are you getting it? That's why he always did his genealogy. Alright? Now let me put everything together for you so you can understand why we did all of the things we did today. By virtue of the resurrection, Jesus has been exalted 
the right hand of God. Because of the resurrection, we are assured that Jesus is what? The king. The promised king to live forever. But because of the death as well, we understand that he is what? The suffering servant. Both prophecies are united in him because he had to die for sin to go, being the suffering servant, but he had to be risen for him to be the king to reign forever. How then did he build God a temple? He told them, he says that I will pull this temple down and build it in three days. He was not talking about the temple made with hands. He was talking about the fact that after he died, and the Holy Ghost comes inside the believer, the believer becomes the temple of God. So God's plan was not temples made with hands. God's plan was to come and live inside the believer. Are you lost? Make sense? Make sense? So Jesus is both what? The suffering servant, but he's also what? Ever reigning king. Amen. And that was why they were expecting when he came, someone to be a political governor or a warrior but they did not understand that God's kingdom is not in the physical but is that he would reign in the hearts of everyone forever hallelujah does that make sense does that make sense so God wants to reign in the hearts of everyone forever his kingdom is nigh how do you become a part of the kingdom by believing in what? His death. But not just his death, because if you believe in death, you see him as a substitute for your sin. But you also have to believe that he resurrected because he is king, and that because of that, you also will live forever. So, the, the idea that God has is a theocracy. God alone as king. And so, it helps you see that regardless of what you're going through today and where we are today, you might be under a government, but you still belong to a different citizenship where God is king. The rule you follow every day in your life is that of a different kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. Listen, every of this will pass away, but we have testament that there's life after here. Why? Because when we see Jesus die, and we see him resurrect, we know that there's hope for life after death. Whatever we do here will end here. Every religion promises you life after death. Christianity is the only religion that has a Messiah, a risen Messiah to show for it. If you promise me paradise, show me somebody who has gone and come back. Christianity is the only faith that can show you a Messiah who has died and who has come back. Then truly he's a savior. Are you getting this? Truly is what? He's a savior. And so that's why we have to live 